I don't want a church that is right when I'm right. I want a church that is right when I am wrong. That's what examinations of conscience, that's what the confessional is for. It's a giant mirror that I hold up to my heart. And I say, not only do I acknowledge that I did this, but also I want to get this out of here. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communication and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony's. And today, I am joined by a man in need of confession, Michael Gormley. (laughs) Man, that is so true. That is so true. It's probably the best introduction, most accurate introduction of my life. A man in need of confession, aren't Mm -hmm. we all, though? You're not special. I know. Well, no, I think I am. You're special, but in the in the sense that we're all sinners. You know what? That was our introduction to Pope Francis ten years ago. I, I remember the interview. It was like, oh, right. who who are you know who is Pope Francis? You know, as soon as he got elected, and he he called himself a sinner, a sinner who the Lord has looked upon, is what he said. And which is a great phrase that whom the Lord has looked upon. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and and I remember like Yahoo. I don't remember what news thing it was but they were making this huge deal about it finally a pope who sins this <laughs> this pope admits he's a sinner i'm like yeah. y- you guys really haven't been paying attention to uh <laughs> popes in the past huh nope not even a little bit today's the confession pod oh that's right if there is one thing that i have heard over the years from our priests is that saint anthony's parishioners need better help in being formed for confession because a lot of people when they go to confession don't actually do what you should do in confession they do other things and say other things that actually don't matter in the confessional. And priests talk about it in homilies, deacons mention it, but we thought this would be a good avenue to give, like, what should you really be doing in the confessional? Right, so it kind of came about because uh, it's Lent. Uh, this is a perfect season to go to confession. Um, the church recommends it. church requires it at, if, to go once a year. Once a year. And encourages that to be the Lenten season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what better time than... Uh, then during Lent, as we prepare for Easter, yesterday, last night, was our big you know, confession service here at St. Anthony's. We had a couple dozen priests, and I wish we had a count on the number of people, but uh, hundreds of people came through. And, and, yeah, they think about 700. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. My wife was there. She's in charge of the First Penance, First Communion group, and that was our first big opportunity to invite the kids. And it was funny because the week of, I said, I don't want an email going out that just reminds the parents to take their kids I wanted to encourage the parents to first go themselves because, as one does, I was reading the 1996 Archdiocesan Requirements of the Sacrament of Penance, and they have a whole section on parents, and it says parents should go first as a living witness to their kids for the Sacrament of Confession. And so I wrote that in a little email, like, our Mm -hmm. archdiocese requires. 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 Now, see, here's the funny thing about confession for first penance, and I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at this, but... My mom used to be the DRE of our parish growing up, of which I am effectively the DRE here. She was talking with Shannon one time, and they got in this funny little argument, which is always fun between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law, where Shannon's like, you know, we encourage, we encourage kids to go to confession. It's required that they go to confession before they receive their first Holy Communion, but we can't mandate they go to confession here, like like right now at right this at time. This moment, yeah. And my mom's like, oh, no, no, you have to do that or they won't go. So we had a first confession only for first confession or confession appendant service just for kids making their first confession. And she goes, and I made it mandatory. And Shannon's like, you can't make it mandatory 
because part of confession is sorrow for sins. How do you make that mandatory? <laughs> you could make it mandatory before you ever go to receive First Holy Communion, but not, hey, on Thursday, you better be sorry because that's when you have to go. And my, my mom got in a delightful little argument over that. That's funny. That's that's tricky with second graders, mm-hmm. too, because you're not, you can't really convince them to be sorry of something. I mean, I can see the value in for forcing kids to, like, you're going to eat your vegetables, not because you want to. Yeah. Even if, you know, it would be great yeah. if you wanted to. It would be great. Yeah. But the, the experience of contrition. My son, Noah, and my daughter, Cecilia, who was very different from Noah, and my daughter, Katiri, who was very different from those two, they're all very different kids. But when they came time for confession, they begged to go. No way. They were ready to go. Well, and they so probably see the you guys going. That would have benefited me a lot. I remember being terrified of confession mm. as a kid. I went in second grade when everyone else was going before my sec- my first communion. Mm-hmm. Before my second communion. <laughs> um, and Second communion is a big step in a young a boy's life. life. <laughs> uh, and then I remember I didn't go for like three years, and I was hanging at a buddy's house, and a very Catholic buddy's house apparently because – his mom was like, hey, we should all go to confession. And they just branded us, us all in their 12-passenger van and, and their, their, their kids and our their friends who happened to be there all went to confession. And I was horrified, terrified mm. to go back. And it had been three years, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I I mean, I, I well, your, your point about having parents, as a parent, mm. going often public, no, publicly in front of your kids, you know, say, like, I'm going, you know, admitting to your kid that you need this too. And surely they'll learn that lesson. Yep. A little easier. That's the goal. That's the goal is to have parents who go to confession. We'll have kids who will love to partake. You know, I have this confession talk that I give. It's about an hour and a half long to parents where I walk through the salvation history of sin and mercy. So the Old Testament, New Testament. And I do it for like a retreat type atmosphere. So we don't really do that exact thing. So I don't do that here. But at St. Lawrence, I did it every year. And we would have parents um, who would go to confession after 20 years of being away from it. And this one woman said it's been 27 years and she goes, and I need a priest now. And she went and just knelt down in front of a priest who was walking in the courtyard and was like, will you hear my confession? She knelt down right there and she did her confession in front of her child who was on the retreat to prepare for his first reconciliation. And it was powerful. And that woman to this day goes like every two or three months. Wow. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, evangelization of parents in youth ministry could be a podcast on its own. Oh, my goodness. That seems it's, to be the... It's slowly how I'm shifting everything. So yep. buckle up, parents. I'm going to require a lot more <laughs> from you going forward. Here we come. Okay, so let's just, let's just dive into confession. I've got, yeah. a, I've got a story for you later. Woo. I've got questions for you. Ooh. Um, so trying to figure out where to start. Where should a good confession start? What's the first step? Is it driving to the car and finding the shortest line? Driving to the car. Driving to the car. We're going to get in a car. Oh, my We're going to drive to another car because it's idiot. the Woodlands. We have three or four cars <laughs> parked around the city. Various places, hot spots. <laughs> um, so, With our bug out bags in the back seat. <laughs> but, I mean, we hear often, you know, a good confession starts before the confession. If you've been listening to Father David has a, a video on this, a good confession should start at home far prior to when you actually go and get in line. What does that even mean? What does that look like? The best way to prepare for confession. Confession is the, the more or less the public renunciation of your sin, right? You are going before the priest who is both Christ and is a representative of the church restoring you to communion. But if you think about it, what drives me to the confessional besides the car, 
or the several cars that we've driven in order to get here. Um, what drives me to the confessional is my interior sorrow over my sins, right? That is the way the church, if you get the catechism of the Catholic church, you go to the second part, which is on the sacraments, second section, which goes through the seven sacraments, and you go to the one on confession. It has a beautiful article called On Interior Penance. And I read that and read that and reread that. The idea is this. You ever have a Protestant who is talking to you about your Catholic faith and they say things like, why do you go to confession to a man? I go straight to God through Jesus. Yes, of course. Right. So as Catholics, we all have our apologetics arguments. But here's the deal. As Catholics, we might have been taught how to make a good confession, but not necessarily how to repent. Say that again. As Catholics, we might have been taught how to make a good confession, but not necessarily how to repent. And so what we need to realize is the act of penance uh, of the sacrament needs to be informed first by my interior sorrow over my sin. So your examination of conscience should occur at home in prayer. You should sit down with a really good one. Go through the examine prayerfully. Because every so often when you read an examination of conscience, you're like, is that really a sin? Mm. Right? And then to ask for the Holy Spirit to like illumine your intellect, illumine your memory, illumine your your own understanding of your emotions as to why you're like, no, like that's not really wrong. Like to to ask yourself and in soul searching, do this. And so what I do is before I go to confession, I I collect myself, right? I recollect, and then I say, in the name of Jesus. I renounce this sin, right? I say that, and sometimes out loud if I'm, if I'm up early enough before my kids, and I say this because I know kind of what Deacon Rick's homily was about. Exactly. I was just going to say he preached on this last Sunday. Yeah, because the idea is not that sin is just a moral failure. Sin is pollution and corruption. It has a social dynamic as much as it does an interior individual dynamic. But it's also tied to the whole kingdom of darkness, we don't want to talk about Satan, and um, you know it's difficult to kind of go through this, but Satan is real, right? Demons are real. The world is real. The flesh and its weaknesses are real. So the world, the flesh, and the devil have to be fought in order for me to discover who I am in Christ Jesus. And so part of that renunciation is the awareness of, like, it's not just that I have this fault or a temperamental problem. I have a sin being thrown at me that I need to be able to to fight, right? And so it's that confrontation with the darkness attached to the individual sins that I think a lot of us need to, because we got to look for patterns. you got to look for patterns. So that's what we mean when we say conf- a good confession starts before you ever get to the confessional. Right. It seems like this is where guilt comes in, in a good way. You know, guilt, it can be a good thing. Shame is, is a different thing. That There's a difference between guilt and shame. But there's a reason you feel guilty. There's a there's a reason that you have that pang of like oh shoot I did this thing I snapped at this kid because you could do the identical things in two different situations and one might be you find yourself guilt ridden and one might be you know you don't that's because every you know the circumstances of every act are are different mm-hmm. so pay attention to that guilt bring it up every single night start maybe make a list and then drop them off at confession that's what it's there for and then guilt becomes a problem when you can't stop feeling guilty yeah. even if you've done nothing wrong and that's when becomes um when the scrupulosity comes into play yeah but the conscious and and the idea of catholic guilt i mean there's a those, those are there for a reason there's a, you've you've been formed whether you like it or not in some way to recognize what's good and bad yeah so if you think of a uh, your conscience right as the the primordial vicar of God 
in your soul, right? This did you is, come up with that phrase, Mike? No, St. John Henry Cardinal Newman did. Um, it's this notion of the the law of right and wrong has been written on every human being's heart. I don't want to obey that law because I'm a fallen sinful person. I, w- I prefer comfort over to righteousness and et cetera, et cetera. So what ends up happening for um, a lot of us is our consciences, that voice, our ability to hear that voice becomes dulled over time. I was talking with a man who was on the verge of divorce. He had had an affair. Um, his wife found out about it. And, um, it. and the guy was a rock solid dude other than this thing. And so I'm at, I'm at like most people, I'm at Zoe's Kitchen. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm sitting with this guy who Let's was go. crying in front of my steak kebabs, and we're trying to have so we had this lunch, and I got to know him. Uh, a parishioner brought him, and we're talking, and I just stopped him, and I said, "Let me tell you your life story." And I just went through: you're addicted to pornography. You watch it alone at night. You you know when your wife leaves, that's your first thought. It becomes this gnawing temptation until you give in. And he is looking at me with eyes like bug-eyed open. I said, and when you have this encounter, at first you were terrified. You paced in the parking lot. You didn't want to do it. You got in your truck and we're going to drive away. And then you were like, I'm going to do it. And then the second time and the third time and the fourth time, maybe you had a slight hesitation, but you ended up walking right through those doors. He looked at me and he goes, how do you know that? And I said, because that's what it takes to kill your conscience. See, our sins are all boring and they're the same. That's right. What's right? the Dostoevsky line? Every unhappy family is unhappy in the exact same way. Yeah. Like, and, we're and, not creative with this stuff. Yeah. And so within that context, right, when you are looking at your sin, there are patterns there that if you only if you only do your examination of conscience when you're waiting in line to go to confession, yeah. which is the majority, if that's it, and if, if you have a devotional confession, you go every month, every three months, whatever. I recommend every three months, not every month. Long story, but we don't have that many times for confession. For most of us, we need to do an examination of conscience at home. We need to do this, we need to be thorough, and we need to make sure that we can hear the voice of our conscience. And that's through deliberate effort, that's through direct education, being intentional, and asking the church, what does the church say about sin? It's not your, what's that line from Big Lebowski? That's like, your your opinion, opinion, man, (laughs) right? Like, no, we want the church to be right. What was the great line from Chesterton? Um, I don't want a church that is right when I'm right. I want a church that is right when I am wrong. And that's what examinations of conscience, that's what the confessional is for. It's a giant mirror that I hold up to my heart. And I say, not only do I acknowledge that I did this, but also I want to get this out of here. Right? I want to be rid of this. So that's that's those are big components of it. And that's part of the human element of, of having a human confessor that yeah. you go to. You you are in a sense dumping out these sins um, and leaving them there as opposed to this idea where you're like confessing in prayer, which is a good thing still. Yeah. You, you should be, you know, acting up these acts of contrition in your personal prayer, but yeah. there's something different a human about bringing them to a person who sort of accepts those sins in a way, yeah. which is what Christ does on the cross. Yeah, Carl Carl Jung said a famous psychologist said if all of my patients went to Catholic confession, half of them would never return. Because the idea of saying the worst things you've ever done to another human being and have them patiently listen to you, and then instead of saying, you're disgusting, I hate you, but instead say, through the ministry of the church, God grants you pardon and peace, I absolve you of your sins. He said, on a human level, 
that has to be the most freeing thing. Because in the Catholic Church, we don't just believe the physical things you do in the world is what sin is. It's thoughts, it's words, and it's deeds. Even our thoughts can become sinful, mm-hmm. right? If you if you meditate on revenge, if you imagine yourself, if you if you fantasize, right? Like these things become Let's sinful. Let's say you take long showers and you go over old arguments that you lost, but then in the fantasy <laughs> that you actually won those arguments. Oh, no, that's totally fine. That's good? Our Lord is good with that. Good, 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 good. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in the shower too. You can also do it while, say, walking your dog. That the dog's going to get the greatest workout of its life because you're going to go round and round and round in your head with your opponent. Not that I've done that. I haven't done that. Have you done that? I haven't done that. Okay, so you're at the confessional. You, you've, mm. you've thought about your uh, conscience. You've, you've, you've done all this. Now you're, you're in line. You're ready to go. Um, there's a question of what should you say? Yeah. What do you do when you're there? The, here's the best way. This is, it's so simple when you do it the right way. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been six months, six years since my last confession. I'm married, I'm a father, and oh. these are all my sins. I don't ever say that right. middle part. I don't either. Because I'm not a father. Well, you're not a... Wait, are you married? I'm married. I don't know if I've said that on the podcast yet, but that is that is important for the priest to know as he's assessing. Yeah, as you want to give, you wanna give your state in life, right? So that the priest can have some understanding of the nature of the sins that you're going to confess. And if they are, in particular, temptations for those in your particular state. So if you're a religious and you confess greed, right, that's going to be a categorically different fault than me confessing greed because a religious took a vow of poverty, mm. right? Like, right. it's a totally different thing, right? So to know your state in life, also because, you know, fornication is not adultery, right? So to know that you're married is a thing that the priest needs to know. Okay. Even though they're both grave sins, they're both mortal sins, they both deprive you of the life of grace within you. Well, one, for example, the priest might require that you tell your wife because you're not showing true contrition unless you share this part. Yeah, I don't think he can require it. I think he can. Really? Yeah. A lot of people have a misunderstanding. Like, if you kill someone and you confess murder. I confess by Hitchcock. Have you ever seen that? By Hitchcock, yes. And then he has to try to kill the priest because he thinks the priest is going to. Yeah. But the idea is he can't say you have to confess in order to get forgiveness but he can strongly encourage you to do that as part of it really yeah i I guess i thought there was some aspect where if if you come to me and say you murder someone and you're really sorry well you're not really sorry Mm. because you have not done all the yeah but it can't be a requirement for for absolution for absolution i see yeah interesting yeah and it's funny because you also can't this is one of the things like you can't rob and then go to confession and confess stealing and not give the money back like you have to make restitution too. But the priest is not the one who's He's, he, it, is that? Yeah. Basically. So it's tricky. This stuff is tricky because we have to look at sin and uprooting sin in our lives. So when you go to confession, people, this is what everyone does wrong. Everyone does this wrong. What this go ahead. This is what every priest at our church for the last seven years has told me. Michael, they tell me way too much information. If they're married, they confess their spouse's sin more than their own. And they, whenever they confess their own sin, they are seemingly deliberately vague, right? So this is what the church literally says in the Code of Canon Law, says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This is how we say it. Number and species. The specific species, the specific type of sin, and the amount of times you've done it. Most people have never been told to confess the number, right? My, I, I was never told. I was at a very conservative... Not, I, I mean, somewhat traditional church, 
and the priest, I never remember them telling me number. They've never asked me for a number. Um, but it literally says species and number. Why? Because it changes the nature of the sin if you've done it once or twice versus you do it once or twice a day. Yeah, I got drunk once in the last six months. Okay, yeah. we can work with that. If I got drunk 10 times in the last month. I mean, the priest needs to yeah. know that uh, in order to maybe whatever advice he's going to give or even a penance or something like that. Yeah, or I'm an alcoholic. Like that that totally changes the tone. It's not just mm. I party and drink to excess. It's now this is at a disease level. And I need a different type of help. And now, see, here's the deal. When you have a chemical addiction or you have a behavior addiction like gambling or pornography or whatever, the then the extra help can come from the confessor who can say, okay, now I understand that I'm not forbidding him from ever doing this sin. I'm working to uh, whittle the amount of this sin down, right? Because if you're an addict and someone says, you better go cold turkey or you're always going to end up in hell, the, the individual sinner might end in despair. Like, I, 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 my whole life has been built, you know, I've spent 20 years in the bottom of a bottle, and you're telling me I have to stop today? So this is where the priest's advice help uh, the counsel that he is able to give and the types of penances that he can prescribe can be a remedy for what's the real sin, you know? I, I had an affair. I went on this business trip. We all went out drinking afterwards. This woman, you know, blah, blah, blah. Me and my wife have been fighting. And you can tell this. So you're giving enough detail that they can understand. Oh, species and number. I had an affair. I was drunk. You know, I made a bunch of poor uh, decisions. How many times did you do it? Well, just that once. I feel awful, father, you know, blah, blah, blah. Versus I've been cheating on my wife for six years. Mm. Right? Like, you can tell that that's a totally different category. And the approach has to be totally different. Right? Yeah, Lee, I hope no one out there is cheating on there. We've brought that up a few times. That's we, horrible. We bring that up because it's very uh, – when I go around and I do a parish mission, I have a parish mission that I came up with that I did at our church my first year here. And the whole thing was to help Catholics repent. That's the whole point of the parish mission. It's called that one thing. And so what I do is I try to get them to honestly see what is the one major sin in my life. The devil will point out 50, but what's the one sin? Like, if I could push a magical button and it would be gone tomorrow and I would be so much happier, what is that one thing? And what I do is I help them to understand this and then I have them write it down and put it in a basket in front of like the Blessed Sacrament. And I tell them not to go through it later. And I go through it. Who wrote this? No, no, no. I go through I absolutely, I tell them, don't write your name down because I'm going to read every one of these. And then my third and final talk is going to be based on the decisions or the things that people Mm. wrote down. And it's funny because even in those little index cards, they write down excuses. That they do in the confessional. But I have never got, I've never once, when I've done this, received a sin that there were not three or four of the exact same sin. Gluttony. I've never heard someone talk about gluttony, but I have four people write it down. Gambling addiction, um, prescription pain, you know, opioid addiction. Um, Abortions. When one person confesses, I've always had two or three. Um, This one priest came to me and said, I received the confession of an upstanding parishioner who has gone to confession many, many times. And she confessed a sin that she committed when she was a young woman. And he said, and she's never said it before. And you were able to teach her how to confess her sin. Honestly. It sounds like the church harps on sex. But we all know that especially in an age of always on Wi-Fi, you know, cell phone in your pocket, that pornography. Um, pornography, masturbation, adultery fornication 
these things are the most prevalent in people's lives. And they quickly become uh, fortresses of sin in people's lives that need to be renounced and repented of continuously. It's hard to imagine a, a sin that would have erupted uh, as in, in the last 20 years. You know, picture 20 years in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. But pornography, it's always been a thing. You know, yeah. I feel like that was one of the first, probably one of the first sins people have ever dealt, dealt with, you know, yeah. this type of lust. But the prevalence, the the, the way Access. that it's accessible, Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've it just like the church is reeling with with the just sheer amount of of men and women mostly young yeah. um, dealing with that specific sense. So here's the here's the thing though when you give species a number you give enough detail to make the species known but that's about it. <laughs> you don't go into well listen blah, blah blah like no one wants the gory details, right? We don't want the details of the act. We want the details of the decision to commit that sin. Right of what went into the object, intention, and circumstance, and so the problem is a lot of people will do the weird details, like no, 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 no. I don't. You're, you're getting too specific. I don't need that. And so, if a priest, I always tell people, uh, a priest has the right to ask you real questions in the confessional. If they either a you're of an age group that maybe has a struggle with particular sins, right? So people might naturally. People get uncomfortable when we talk about these intimate type things. But the priest has a right to do that because the priest is there to help you. And literally every priest alive has probably told a story or two where the person said they're done with their confessions. Like, okay, well, do you – I know some people your age struggle with this. Do you struggle with that? And then they'd be like, yes. Why didn't you confess it? I'm embarrassed. Oh, yeah. Right? So they do that as gentle prodding. Now, if a priest is searching for the nitty-gritty details, that's a red flag. And you need to say very clearly, lay people, you're adults, right? You need to say, uh, is that appropriate for the confessional? I don't feel comfortable with that. But if he's trying to get to the species, that's a different thing. Species and number, lead with that. One thing you'll hear a lot, probably I hear it a lot, is yeah. did you receive communion? Um, and that's that's an important, another important question because yeah. it's one we forget all the time. I forget all the time. So that that's important if you've committed a mortal sin. Run to confession. Don't go to communion. I like how you just – I get this a lot. The priest is like, whoa, did you go to communion? Hold on, young man. Yeah, you do not – if you are aware of mortal sin, grave matter that you committed of your own free will, do not go to communion. Go to confession first. Now we have the classic definition, mortal and venial sin. Yes, I have a question in the form of a long story. It's going to wind <laughs> around a little bit. But last night, I took uh, my confirmation class to confession. There's, you know, 12, 16-year-olds in this class. But um, when I got to the class, there was a, one girl uh, complaining about something. She was complaining about gas prices. Then she was complaining about... Um, the way her English teacher was grading, she was saying this woman is the worst. And she was complaining about something else. And then finally I was like, all right, well, all right, we're going to get started, guys. We're going to go to confession later in the class. And this girl goes, well, we just went to confession last month at the retreat. We don't need to go again. And I said, well, well listen, I'm hearing you complain this whole time. I imagine you have something to confess. And then we got into a conversation. Is complaining sinful? Mm. And I was like, I was trying to explain, like, it, maybe it's not sinful to complain once, but it, it it's less than virtuous, I would say, to, to complain. And this girl goes, 
Okay, so you're telling me if I was in 1930s Germany and I complained about Hitler, that'd be a sin? And I was like, you went straight to, straight to Hitler. Straight to the Nazis. And I, I mean, now I've been picturing since then, like, lodging complaints in, you know, hey, I got a, this guy, he <laughs> has been nothing but trouble this yeah. whole time, you know. But the, the question is, like, complaining. Mm-hmm. Definitely not a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. Is it a venial sin at all, or is it just less than the their virtue of conversation? Does that question make sense? Do we, it does do make we sense. miss the mark? I think so. I think, uh, okay, so there is a very human element where we need to vent when things are bothering us. Okay, but then, okay, let's go back to the scenario that you said with this girl. Is she venting? How would it be virtuous? You are frustrated with an injustice, and you are speaking about that injustice. Are you getting counsel? Oh, you're not getting counsel? Then what are you doing? Right? Are you are you trying to figure out how to deal with this situation? Then what are you doing? Well, my English teacher is an idiot. The way she grades is blah, blah, blah. Okay, so now you're gossiping, and now you're engaged in calumny, which is you're destroying her reputation. A reputation, right, yeah. Right? That's the thing. And is she around? Is your English teacher also Nate, your confirmation teacher? No. Oh, so she's not around to defend herself. So you're also not giving her the benefit of the doubt that is born through an act of charity. If someone, if your teacher is talking about you, being like, you want to talk about an idiot, look at this girl's paper that she wrote, blah, 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 yeah, and you're up. not there to defend yourself? What if she said that to the whole class? What if she said it to just her friends? What if she said it to her fellow teachers? Well, you're saying that to her fellow students, potentially, actually, you know, whatever. And so- when we call complaining, that's oftentimes a descriptor meant to absolve ourselves of any guilt, right? But really what we should be saying is, I gossiped over here, I destroyed that person's reputation over there, and not so that I could remedy the situation, and not so that I could articulate how I really feel, by because I'm an external processor, I need to say yeah. stuff, that's why I'm a podcaster, right? I mean, honestly, I talk through ideas and stuff. Because there'd be a reason why you'd go home to your yeah. parents and say... I- my English teacher, I don't like her for these reasons, you yeah. know, because they're your parents. They could counsel you. They could give you advice. They could tell you, you know, we should get you in a different class or maybe you're not a good writer, and, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. But think about that. So venting, what does it mean to vent? Well, if me and Nate have beef with each other and I go over to Jay and I tell Jay how stupid Nate is and how wrong Nate is, what am I really doing? Am I venting because I'm really frustrated or am I trying to build up an army of opposition to Nate? And that's what we do. And so that's why I like this one workplace guy. He said they have an HR policy where you will get fired on your second offense of gossip. And so he said you have one warning and then you're fired. Dave Ramsey. And so his thing in his his company is what constitutes gossip? And he said I needed a clear rule so that everyone can understand. Because human beings vent, but what's the right way to do it? And he said when speaking about another employee's problems – or difficulties or whatever, or faults, to someone who cannot help fix the problem. So he said, so when a salesman is trashing the IT staff to the receptionist, that's gossip. He gets one warning, and then he's fired. And then there's a receptionist snitch on him, or how does that work? No, I don't think they have a snitching thing, but um, if the receptionist, right, if he is venting to the receptionist about another, you know, it's a fellow receptionist and that person's the supervisor, then that's, so you take the problem. there's a reason to bring that up there. <laughs> well, you take the problem up. Yes, You exactly. don't spread it around and that's the difference. So, not to make it all about complaining, that's a really good deep dive into the venial sin of 
what you call complaining, but also is disguised under all these other sins. So, and if you're malicious, it can be a mortal sin. Gossip. It can be a yeah. mortal sin. So all of these types of yeah. sin, things, sins we call mortal or venial, mm-hmm. can they pretty much all be ramped up to the level of of mortal? And is that part of the point of your examine? And part of the point of your conscience is if this is gnawing at you, then maybe it is something you should be confessing? Because venial sins are generally absolved. Mm-hmm. You make the sign of the cross with holy water, or you go to Mass, or you um, do a good act of contrition. Yeah. Venial sins are absolved in certain parts of the liturgy of the Mass, like when we do the confitior, I confess Almighty God, right? Um, Praying the Our Father, using holy water and reminding ourselves of our baptism. These things are great, and they absolve you of your actual venial sins. Venial, again, is sin that wounds my relationship with God. All sin is wrongdoing. So we're not saying venial sin, no big deal. Just just go to mass and they're all gone. No, venial sins are a big deal because though a venial sin, a million venial sins do not equal one mortal sin, they sure do a good job paving the way to it, mm-hmm. right? So mortal sins, mortus in Latin meaning death or deadly, right? So a mortal sin kills the charity, the life of charity that God has within your soul. You sin against the love of God, Okay. And those sins are characterized by its gravity, grave. Again, going back, the heaviness of the sin. And so when we talk about mortal sin, I can say Nate committed a grave sin. I can't really call it mortal from my perspective because I don't know if, number one, you had sufficient knowledge that it was in fact grave. And so that means your will couldn't consent to the fullness of that evil. But if you knew an action, was, if you knew it was bad, you knew it was grave, deeply wrong, and you consented to it anyway, then you would be guilty of mortal sin. And you are not allowed to go to communion. You're not allowed to receive any other sacrament other than confession, right? So when we talk about the these understandings, certain venial sins can become mortal sins when the intention behind it is gravely disordered. So I'm venting about my teacher, but I'm venting about my teacher to this one person in particular, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell what would otherwise maybe be exaggerations or lies or white lies so that this person hates that teacher, right? The level of maliciousness and corruption of will is can make it a mortal sin. Another thing, telling a white lie, venial sin. Committing perjury, mm. mortal sin, right? And so when we talk about, oh, well, you know, complaining isn't really a, a, a mortal sin – if complaining is a cover word for gossip that really does destroy someone's reputation, then guess what we just did? We crossed into the territory of maliciousness. So, but if I've done my uh, yeah examine examine and I realize that I've been complaining, yeah, it hasn't been malicious. Yeah, I just have been you know kind of lazy with my words, and mm-hmm. I told three people something that it wasn't their business. Yeah, I go to confession. Do I need to bring that up? Is that no. wasting time? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, you need to bring it up if it demonstrates a repeated pattern of behavior in your life. I always complain to the point where I'm a complainer, right? You want to, you don't want to be a complainer. Have you ever met a person who is a complainer? Yeah. Right. You're sitting across from one. You don't want, uh, you don't want to be that person. No. So why, why consent to these habits? Okay. So you want to get rid of habitual venial sin as well. It is good and profitable to confess all your venial sin, but it is not. Required. The proper understanding of the sacrament of confession 
is the restoration of a soul killed through mortal sin. So you are obliged, you are required to confess all of your mortal sins, all of them. You are obliged to, meaning if you withhold a mortal sin that you were conscious of, you have committed the sin of sacrilege of the sacrament, and you are guilty of another mortal sin. I only made it worse. You do. So the devil took away your shame so that you would sin. Now he's going to double it back so you will never be free of your sin, right? That's the reality. We are dealing with powers and principalities. We are dealing with a supernatural order as well as our own fallen, prideful, arrogant self that doesn't want to look bad in someone's eyes, which is why all new explorers must answer a science question. Okay. A requirement for the sacrament of confession is... Okay, okay, don't hurt yourself. Anonymity. People don't realize this. The priest is required to grant the option of anonymity. Really? Behind the screen. Yeah. So that's why, for those of you who go to the penance service, most people are used to doing face-to-face confession. Great. Time of COVID, we're not in confessionals. Most people are used to, hey, I just sat down in front of Father. Thank goodness I'm wearing this giant N95 mask. He doesn't know who I am. Um, but at the same time, if a priest removes the ability for you to be anonymous, not only is he violating Bishop Fiorenda's <laughs> diocesan guidelines for first First reconciliation, which I just read yesterday, um, but the Code of Canon Law, like anonymity, because some people will never confess unless they know that they're going to be an. They know they're not anonymous before God, but you're still immortal. Like the priest is still a human in the community. So the church always says, so that's why you go to priests and they traditionally will have their head turned. Right. Some will close their eyes or whatever, you know, um, but that that's the important point. You need to be free of mortal sin. I have been to, my brother's a priest, and I have been to confession with him, and the first time I ever went, I didn't realize he was in the confessional, and uh, I was behind a screen, but I knew he'd recognize my voice, so I put on an, an accent, Eastern uh-huh. European. Oh, uh, yeah? Did and, it work? Well, no, because I realized halfway through, I'm like, this is going to be so funny, I can't wait to tell everybody about this, and then I'm, it was probably the worst confession of my life. Yeah. But he did not know that it was me. Uh-huh. He just thought he had a new parishioner from Yugoslavia. Kaloy's <laughs> not good, yes, no? What? I am from former Yugoslavia. Yeah, so we, we go to confession. We I've done that too, by the way. Yeah. And it was horrible. Yeah. Because I was doing a southern accent, oh, and it was way on. loud. And the priest asked me to please lower my voice. And then I said, is this good, you reckon? <laughs> so we go. We dump our sins off. We say number in kind. Mm. Then we get a penance. Mm-hmm. Any words of advice on the post-confession routine? Do your penance promptly. You just walk out the door and do your penance. Don't walk out the door and go home. Walk out the door, go before the Blessed Sacrament, do your penance. If your penance is, say, a bunch of prayers. Your penance might be uh, acts of charity. Go and do that immediately. Don't wait. Don't wait. Wa- I, I, yeah, it drives me crazy when I'm when it's like a day-long penance or something like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like... I'm not, am I forgiven until the next day or what? Yeah, I, w- I went to confession. I brought someone to confession. I hadn't been to confession in like eight years and was living a pretty uh, rebellious, drug-fueled life. And he went to confession. Then I went to confession. Afterwards, we were talking. And I said, so what would you get for a penance? And he said, I got five Our Fathers and five Hail Marys. What did you get? And all the blood drained from my face. And I said, I have to do a rosary a day until Thanksgiving. And he just looked at me and he was like, 
what did you do? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. So I went to a priest and I said, you know, I, why would someone give you that penance? And he goes, well, he must have known that you go to confession often. I was like, yeah, I was like every two months or whatever at that time. And he said, so, okay, you're ready for a challenge. But I'm like, but the other guy was like in and out of, like I've picked him up at two o'clock in the morning from Conroe Jail. Like, <laughs> But he was ready for five Our Fathers. Yeah. Free somehow. That was absolutely it. Good deal. Okay, well, folks. Oh, wait, that's not that's not it. Are you got some more? I got one more thing. Okay. The best way, right? Just as we said at the beginning, a good confession starts outside the confessional. That's right. The best confession ends also outside the confessional. Uh, yeah, it starts and ends in the same place. <laughs> yes, it does. Well played. Because you're not really sorry if the dog returns to his vomit. Right? You know that proverb? That's a that's gross not proverb. A... No, I'm saying it. <laughs> no way. That's from Jesus. The dog returns to his really? vomit. Really? Yeah. You've never heard that? No, I'm Catholic. I didn't read that stuff. Oh, that's a good point. Um, <laughs> but this notion of I'm going to put myself back in the same situation. So the classic example is you're an alcoholic. You found freedom from alcohol. You go to confession. You're restored. But you know what? You keep going back to the bar to watch the big game every week. I don't know what people do with sports, but you go to the bar to watch the Hey, game. how's the big game going this week? I just hey. love it when Mike talks about sports. I know. I know. The, the biggest of games, <laughs> yeah. right? But so think about that, right? So the church makes a distinction between near and remote occasions of sin. What is an occasion of sin? I am putting myself in a situation where I know me and I know my patterns of sinfulness start here. Right. I'm alone with a laptop right. and Wi-Fi. I'm this. I'm that. Whatever it might be. If you're if you're. uh, Yeah. OK. So if you've sinned 100 out of 100 times, you've opened a laptop, then that's the sin. Yeah. You know, yeah. opening the laptop, you, you, putting yourself being found in near occasion of sin is not itself a sin, but intentionally putting yourself there. Because, like, think about this. Um, if you have a weak will. When you return to that, okay, because of one sin, like you might be the most patient man on the face of the earth, but you also might struggle with, we'll, we'll just go with what you're talking about, lust, pornography on the computer, whatever. So if that's you, right, you can have the patience all day and be very virtuous there. But if you then are alone at night in a secluded area in the dark with the laptop and you're like, well, I'm just going to watch some YouTube videos. Mm. Yeah, you're not. You're not. You are then responsible for your own fall. Now, if you're out somewhere and it's thrust upon you because, let's be honest, we live in a very uh, sexualized culture and it's difficult to stay away and then you fall not just into temptation but you fall into sin, like you're not responsible for that occasion of sin. You are responsible for giving into temptation, but not for that occasion of sin. And so the church wants to make this fine distinction. This is a really important point. Father Jesse brings this up too, which is temptation is not sin. Every one of, even Jesus was tempted. There's no sin there. So you had mentioned scrupulosity earlier. Scrupulosity is seeing sin where there is no sin. So often people feel tempted and they think that's a sin. No, it's not. Well, I shouldn't have to struggle with this. Neat. Okay, in the lottery of life, your genetic gene pool, your family of origin, the bad experience you have with your girlfriends in college, you know, the the horrible situation at work or whatever that produced this stress level. Yeah, okay, this world is a chaotic, sinful mess, and these are the cards you're dealt. Now do it nobly, right? So then you say, okay, well, how do I deal with the temptation? Is you fight it, and you avoid near occasions of sin. Right. So the smart man 
learns, the smart woman learns to avoid putting themselves where they know, like you said, so so succinctly, 100 out of, out of 100 times, you fell. That's what we call a pattern of sin. So if I avoid that like the plague, if I give away my laptop, if I chop off my right hand or pluck out my eye, better to enter heaven with one hand or one eye than enter Gehenna, you know, unmaimed, mm-hmm. right? That's the hyperbole that Jesus used, and it is rabbinic hyperbole. He wasn't really telling you to chop your hand off. But the idea is, what am I willing to do in order to get sin out of my life? Like, that's what confession is for. I'm willing to humiliate myself in front of a man called the priest who, you know, the holiest guy I know, I'm going to tell him the worst things I've ever done. Not a normal thing, but a good thing. Not a normal thing in our fallen sinful world, but a good thing. So you need to avoid the near occasions of sin. You need to have enough self-knowledge of what that constitutes. And then you need to, after you confess, radically change your life. The catechism says a radical reorientation of your whole life. I think this would probably be the last note. Father Matthew has asked me to say this uh, time to time. If you've been forgiven, you don't need to keep confessing it. Some people beat themselves up. It's like um, a guilt complex. They beat themselves up so much for some horror that they themselves committed in the past, but they can't get past it. It's like the physician has healed your broken leg and you refuse to take off the cast and get rid of the crutches, Mm. right? So you have people who, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. And then when the memory comes back, it, it hurts you. It fills you with like the, you know, cold, clammy, like what, why did I do that? Why did I let things get that bad? And so what they find is that some of these priests will tell me that they'll they'll find a priest. There's this one guy who would go here to confession and then go to St. Simon and Jude and then go to Sacred Heart and then go to St. Edward's on all of their different confession days and say it was a week since my last confession, even though it was only 24 hours, but it was a week since the last time they went to that church. And this person would tell them, like, I can't get past my guilt over this sin. So I confess it over and it's like, no, 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 no. That's this. That's Satan. That's your. It's like a lack of trust in in God in the for, mercy of God for His forgiveness. Wow, I mean, not not that I can really contemplate being in that person's shoes with that type of yeah. guilt, but um, yeah, we have to trust that everything that you dumped off and that the confessional uh, is gone. It's empty. God forgives and forgets in yeah. a sense. You know, we still have to go like you're saying, amend our lives. Yeah. We're, we're, it's not done on our part just yeah. because we went to confession and I up oh, scot free. I don't need to change. You need to change if you feel like you're going to sin again. But yeah. it's your actions that you confessed in a good way. They're gone, and yeah. God is willing to forget them. Yeah, Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, as far as God has placed your sin from you. Right, like this whole notion of uh, of of letting my sin continue, my forgiven sin to continue to define me, to continue to limit me, which is what the word "define" means. Um, that says that your sin is greater than the Father's mercy in Christ Jesus. That the death of Jesus is smaller than your particular sin, and that's a lie, and that's a lie from the evil one to prevent you from walking in the newfound freedom of being his beloved son or daughter. Confessors will tell you, you keep coming back to it, maybe there's something more there that can be explored, but that's probably something that you want to set up with a priest or a deacon or a spiritual director, that you want to be like, okay, why do I, how come I can't let this go? Because that's a totally different thing than am I forgiven? It's like, yeah, you are, but emotionally, emotionally, 
you're hanging on to it. Ontologically, that sin's removed from you. Emotionally, you're, you won't let it go bye-bye. And let's work through that. Might require some counseling. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, friends, repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, confessions Wednesdays and Saturdays here at St. Anthony's. Um, and th- all through Lent, there's going to be more confession services at yeah. various parishes. Uh, so uh, I think that's all online. You can definitely look that up. The number one recommendation that Bishop Fiorenza, Archbishop Fiorenza before Cardinal Donardo, had for first penance, right? So I'm going through all the stipulations. They said, parents, you have failed as parents, and we as a parish, if your kids are not brought to the confessional at least once a year, you are after they make their first confession. And you're obliged to do it every year if you're aware of mortal sin. But many kids in confirmation, the second time they go to confession is when they're high school students in confirmation. And if that's you and you're hearing me, Go to confession and take your kids. Bring the kids. Bring the kids. Cool. Thanks for tuning in. Friends, see you at confession or Stations of the Cross or any of the many things we have going on here at St. Anthony's. Always go to ap.church slash events. See what's going on on the horizon. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining. See you Uh, next time. Adios. Adios.